Stories connect us as humans. A well-told story can motivate and inspire us. Storytelling is the ultimate superpower. Be The Drop is a weekly podcast that investigates how to tell stories that engage. Join me, Amelia Veal, on our shared journey to become better storytellers. In episode 209 of Be The Drop, Sid Verma, co-founder of Brainstem, discusses his belief that we are outcomes of the environment we're in and reveals tools we can use to change our outcomes. He provides tips for finding a mentor and shares how they're inspiring new leaders in STEM. This is Sid's version of Be The Drop. Are you starting a podcast? Narrative Marketing delivers a full range of podcast production and training options. Visit narrativemarketing.com.au or hit the link in the show notes for more details. Sid, thank you so much for joining me for our next episode of Be The Drop. Amelia, thank you very much and it's an absolute pleasure to be here. Yes. Well, and we're being here virtually via you in stage four lockdown. So I appreciate that. And we're sending all our love and hugs Melbourne's way because it's a challenging time. But you have got a really positive attitude. And I think that's that's the way to approach it, right? That is the best way to, to look at everything in life. So to get us started and to um, help listeners understand a little bit more about yourself, I've got an item of significance that you can explain, which tells us a little bit about your journey. Absolutely. Uh, look, so my, uh, my my cheesy introductory line when people ask me, what do you do, is, you know, to say that I, I live my life in thirds. First third pays the bills, the second third keeps me excited, and the final third makes me smile. And so, you know, the, the I run a health technology consulting business. I, uh, I run a startup community of uh, health entrepreneurs. But the bit that makes me smile is uh, is the one that we're talking about here, which is Brainstem, which is a nonprofit organization that uh, my wife and I started back in 2015. And uh, it, it almost goes back to the, you know, when we talk about the aha moment and, and what really happened in your life when things changed for you was in 2015 when our son, who he, he won the national science competition in uh, uh, the BHP Bulletin Science and Engineering Award in Australia. Uh, at the age of uh, 15, uh, I landed up representing Australia at the Intel International Science and Engineering Fair in the United States, which is the world's largest pre-college science competition. So we were there sort of to embarrass him as we accompanied him uh, for this place. And it is one of those places where, you know, you you walk in thinking, I've got a really fast car and I'm, I'm the fastest driver in the world. And you walk in there realizing that everybody else also has a fast car and mine is not the fastest. <laughs> uh, so for him to be in that space and realize that this whole world is full of amazing kids and doing incredible things, and both for myself and my wife as well, that we met these, you know, this is like 1,700 kids from 70, 80 odd countries, and they're all teenagers. But what we realized was that when we met these kids, that, you know, you asked them, tell us about your project. And this is a science STEM conference, science, technology, engineering, mathematics. And they were, they were two distinct personas or type of people. There was one which is like, you know, I've designed this pen and I'm super smart and, you know, I know how to do this stuff. And the other half are like, why the pen was made? Who is it made for? How are they going to use it? What difference would it make in their life? And I looked at my wife and I said, why isn't every single kid talking like that? If this is the smartest gathering of kids in the world in 2015, why isn't every single kid talking like this? And if this is how they are talking now, what about the ones who didn't get a chance to come here? What about the ones who 
didn't even put their hand up because they didn't get a chance to sort of explore science and STEM and innovation. And I said, you know, we, we should go back and do something about this. And as to and, and as a first world country, what is it that we are doing or not doing that we are consistently failing a whole generation of kids? And so we came back and we set up this, this non-profit organization with the whole intention of helping raise the next generation of STEM leaders and change makers. Uh, and so to me, that is like my, my, I would say my significant story. That was the aha moment or be the drop moment when mm. this whole brainstem conversation started for us. Fantastic. What a wonderful story too. And so many elements there that you're bringing in. But I, I love it when it's this, you know, your, the experience you go through and you're suddenly like, as I like that example, you, you thought you had a really fast car and then suddenly you realise there's lots of other fast cars. But that, that's an empowering moment that you can then go, this is great, but how can we make it even better? You know, how can we how can we do that? And so one of the things that you do within BrainStem is about, you know, you, you mentioned that you've created BrainStem and now you're helping bring these wonderful generations of children through. And one of the things you talk about is finding your idea and how to really tap into that. And you mentioned a little bit about how people can then explain their ideas. Can you tell us a little bit more about that concept? Yes. Yeah, so, so the once we when we came back from from the US, the, the idea was so in my in my professional life, I was mentoring um, and I, and I still do mentor entrepreneurs and and business people. You know, I, I teach uh, or guest lecture at the University of Melbourne. So I, I do things which in, in involve mentoring at a very uh, sort of active level. And I thought, why aren't we doing these sort of things at a much younger age? Because, you know, at that age, you know, to, to a certain extent, my son had the sort of benefit of me being one of his mentors. Uh, all the kids don't listen to their mom and dad as they should be. Uh, <laughs> so we, we set up this, this program called the Brainstem Innovation Challenge, and which is a, a team-based mentoring program where they get matched with a, with a scientific mentor or an entrepreneur or a scientist or a PhD or a postdoc. And we're always looking for more mentors. And so when we came here and, and we, did, we, we piloted this, this program uh, with one of the universities in Melbourne, in, with Swinburne, the, the first program, I, I, it, is, it is as clear as a high-definition movie in my head. You know, I had this, uh, there were 16 students in the first iteration of the program. There's this young girl in year nine, 14, 15 years old, uh, and I walk up to her and I, you know, back into the program and what are you hoping to achieve? And all the usual sort of typecasts of, you know, she was shy, she was unsure, she didn't know what mentoring was. I don't know what, whether STEM is for me or not, whether that is my career choice, all those sort of usual sort of points. And I'm like, perfect, this is exactly who we are for. And then the way the program goes is that we have a 12-week mentoring program. So every fortnight, every week, you know, you meet with your mentor and you go to the university labs and you see you do all these amazing things. And when we have a presentation evening at the end of the day, which is a chance for these teams to get up on stage and talk about what they've been doing and how they or what they've learned in, the, in that process. And this girl gets up on stage and she starts talking and she says, until about 10 weeks back, I'd never, ever been to a university or met a scientist. But today I'm going to talk about my idea that can save the life of a baby born at the children's hospital. And I thought, wow, you have gone from not knowing what you want to do to believing you can save someone's life in 12 weeks or in 10 weeks. You just imagine the power, the strength, the empowerment this girl was feeling at that point in time. And I, and I looked at my wife again and I said, we can stop now. You know, we've changed one life. You know, <laughs> we, we, we've done that bit. 
But obviously not. You know, since then we've had 600 students go through the program. You know, more than 60% are girls in the program. Uh, more than half the students are from a low socioeconomic background or a public school background. So the numbers are stacking up. But to me, uh, you know, it goes back to what the idea was. And I always talk about the fact that everyone must have a world domination idea. So through Brainstem, what we're trying to do is we're trying to empower young Australians to find what their world looks like for them in the world of science and STEM. And then through mentoring, through this experience, see how they can learn means, ways, and tricks of how can this learn to dominate that? Because at the end of that, they're going to have a significant positive impact. So do you think then in that a lot of it is, you know, finding this this world domination idea and, and in the context of your own world, but is a lot of that work then confidence about, you know, having the confidence, as you said, she'd never been exposed to it, so maybe it's an element of exposure, but, like, how can we apply this in our lives generally? What are the things that you think are some of the key elements to having that ability to see your idea and to actually visualise yourself in implementing it? So there's a couple of different ways I I view this. The first one is, I think I wrote an article on this in LinkedIn about uh, the difference between doing something and not doing something is one step. Uh, And it's about about taking that step. And uh, once you do take that step, it it shouldn't be with the assumption that it will be good. Uh, The intention should be, let me just take this step and see what happens. But then also go back, back to the, goes back to the second thing that I think about, which is the three states of mind. Uh, you know, it is, it is the, uh, and I call it the, the rock, the plant and the animal state of mind. And, and allow me to sort of indulge a little bit, but. Yes, I, I'm really intrigued because you mentioned this and I, I'm like, well, I don't know what my rock plant or animal state of mind is. <laughs> Sometimes I feel like a tiger, but I'm not sure that's the greatest state of mind. <laughs> So, 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 and you can choose what animal you like to be, uh, but you know, and it, I think it becomes even more relevant in today's time because if you think about it, a rock is—if a rock is lying outside on the on 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 the street or or the ground somewhere—it is at the mercy of the environment. It can't move from there. If it rains, it gets too hot, gets too wet. Someone kicks it. No, can't do anything about it. Whatever is thrown at the rock is at the mercy of the environment. Can't do anything. A plant, on the other hand, if it's in the house, it's near the window, at some point in time, that sunflower or whatever plant it might be will grow and start moving towards where the sunlight is coming from. The animal, on the other hand, if the environment is not conducive to where that animal is, will either defend itself or get up and move to a place which is to their comfort. And to me, the human mind is either in a plant state uh, a stone state or a rock state or a plant state and an animal state. And it's important for us to recognize that at, at whatever point, uh, whatever stage we are at in our life, am I in a state of plant where I'm sort of feeling, oh my God, the world is horrible around me. I'm at a, I'm at a stone stage right now. Like, you know, I'm literally giving up on everything and saying nothing much can be done. I'm just sort of horrible and hopeless or, or whatever it might be. But then that concept of the one step comes into play. And so you take that one step and you try to make a move towards, you don't try to go from a stone to, a, to an animal, you go from a stone to a plant. What, can I, what one step can I take now to start facing the flower towards the sunlight and then start growing in that direction? And once that starts happening, what next step can I take to get up and move somewhere else? Yeah, I like it. That's good. One of the things I think in that concept there is, you know, and you talked about taking a step and just taking that one step. And I think sometimes that the biggest barrier for us 
to take those steps, to just start, is the, the fear, fear of, of failure or fear of what might go wrong, you know, and that's so, you know, that sometimes keeps us in that the rock state that you mentioned because, you know, particularly, you know, in, in Australian sort of culture, there is a stigma, a negative stigma around um, failure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think also we are, uh, whether it's the Australian culture or doesn't matter where you pick yourself up and put yourself in, in any other environment, you know, I think what, what they say is that if you put a good person in a bad environment, they'll become bad over time. And if you and the other way around, you put a bad person in a good environment, over time they'll become a good person. Uh, because we are we are almost like the subsets of the environment we live in. Uh, and, and in some instances, even as much as we, and when you see what's happening around the world in terms of protests and, and uh, movements, it is people who are trying to look at the environment and come together and try and bring about that change. But, you know, I keep going back to brainstem in terms of stories and anecdotes because it has been such an enriching journey over the last five years. And young people are teaching us through their actions and through their journeys about how wonderful. Uh, human society is, but also how much more work needs to be done to make sure that we put them in a place, uh, we, we owe it to them, we put them in a place where they're able to sort of create a much better world for themselves uh, than what we have given them. Uh, and, and I remember there's one uh, one incident where one of the girls, she she was presenting as, I think it was a fifth or sixth generation challenge, uh, and she gets, gets up on stage and she says, uh, I'm here to talk about my project, but I also um, I want to apologize that I have identified that STEM is not for me. So I feel like I failed my team and my and, and my mentor. Uh, I'm sorry. And then she went about her presentation. And I, I, I felt terrible because to me, she hadn't failed. She had won. She had succeeded. And there was there was there was victory in her failure or her perceived failure, because the objective of the program was not about trying to convert you to become a scientist. Mm. It was about finding your voice. And she had the power to get up on stage and speak up and say, "STEM is not for me." In a room full of two hundred people, along with her teammates and so many scientists around, and she stood up and she said, "STEM is not for me." And I said, "You should be proud of yourself." And the other example, which is very similar, is, you know, we, we run a, a design thinking workshop. We run these workshops for, for students from year eight all the way to year 11 for schools. And the way young people are finding their voice, even amongst a society that uh, draws these boundaries around them in terms of how they have to live and how they have to behave and how they have to act, I think it is so empowering. So I, one thing that we encourage and brainstorm now even more so, and when we, when we talk to our mentors who are scientists and postdocs and PhDs, and tell them, I want you to work with your team of four or five students and encourage them to fail. Get them comfortable with what failure looks like because failure is one of the most powerful teachers. But I also say that let them not get used to failure because I think that once a person gets used to failing, Mm -hmm. then you're becoming a different sort of person. You're not learning from what has happened so far and you haven't applied what what came out of that to, you know, do something better next time around. Mm, yeah, I think that's such an interesting nuance because you can go, oh, well, it's going to fail, and then you're not actually really giving it a full shot. You're just preempting the failure. But it's a different attitude. It's more about going, if it fails, I'll learn, evolve, change, and do it differently. So it, it really is around the attitude to failure, I suppose, then. Absolutely, absolutely. 
So, and you've mentioned a few times mentors and how important they are in this program in helping guide uh, the students that go through brainstem. In, in life in general, how important do you think it is for people to connect with mentors? Uh, you know, what is the value and is it the value to both? How does that work? What are your thoughts on it? Look, I, I, uh, I'm almost obsessive about uh, talking to people uh, in regards to mentoring and how important that is. Uh, and uh, recently I, I, I was a mentor for a group of university students who are part of their winter break. You know, it is a three-week mentoring program. Uh, and what surprised me was that uh, these were master's students. You know, these are people who are at the University of Melbourne and, you know, uh, a, a reputable organization. And these students are doing exceptional work as a part of their academics. But they were, the, the traits or the common, and what I offered to each one of them outside of their project was, let's do a one-on-one mentoring session separately uh, outside of that. And each one of them almost came back to me saying, uh, I, don't, I want to know uh, how can I uh, prepare myself better for, uh, for, for a career in my field of study? Uh, what is networking like? How do I connect with people? Uh, how can I improve my public speaking? And I'm thinking, wait, you are a master's. You know, you've gone through school. You've gone through undergrad. You are a master's student. You come from a different country. These things, these conversations, I, I would hear them back in 2015 when we began Brainstem, prior to when I started Brainstem, through Brainstem's journey, and even now, across the entire spectrum. And I, and I, and I told them, I said, look, have you, have you heard about the, of the concept of the circle of five or the average of five? And they said, no, what is that? I said, well, let me break it down for you. And I said, I think there's a book someone wrote about this, but... What it says is that you are the average of the five people you spend most of your time with. And you go, oh, okay. I said, think about it. Who are the people you spend most of your time with? And you do that because that is, that's your comfort zone. And if you spend time in that circle of five continuously, then you are not doing anything apart from having a good time to improve yourself or change something in your life. If you want to, then you have to go and find a different circle of five. And I said, what you need to do also is that, you know, Adam Grant is one of my favorite authors and he's written a book called Give and Take. And he talks about how the people who give are always more successful in life uh, in the long run than the one who take everything. And I said, think about it this way. I want you to create two virtual circles of five. In one, you are the smartest person. And in the other, you are the stupidest person. Uh, in one case, you're, where you are the smartest person, your average is going to come down because you are the other ones are not as smart as you are, supposedly. And the other one, your average is going up because they are smarter people than you. In one, you are giving what you know, your knowledge that you're imparting to others. And in the other, you are learning from other smart people around you. So apply that in terms of your networking. Go and reach out to people who are exceptionally better in, in terms of uh, your career, your life, than what you, you are at the moment. At the same time, find communities and circles where you can help and develop that habit of reaching out to other people and helping and even for the simplest things. And when we run the Brainstem Innovation Challenge, those are teams of five. That's the circle of five. We are creating those circles of five for every single team that takes part in Brainstem. The mentor is in that field of work, the smartest person in the room. Uh, And they impart their knowledge through mentoring to the students. And while they're doing that, they talk about problem solving and creative thinking and um, researching skills and all of those sort of things. So I think it's important to do that uh, for Mm. every one of us. 
Absolutely. And do you would you have any advice or tips on finding a mentor? Because I know I've spoken to people and they're like, I don't I don't even know how do I find the mentor? Who's the right mentor for me? <laughs> Is there any sort of tips you'd give around that? There's an Indian show that I was watching uh, a couple of years back. And in, in, in that show, there was a conversation between a father and a son. And the son was conflicted because he was going down a certain path that was wrong. And he was sort of stuck. And he comes to his dad and he asks him, he says, Dad, I think I'm on the wrong track and I don't know how to get out. I don't know what to do. And uh, the father looks at him and they used to have a strained relationship. And the father looks at him and he says, the day you decide you want to get out, the answers will come. And, uh, and I think most people sit on the fence, hoping or visualizing or imagining what their mentoring might look like. And in their mind, they think of what the perfect mentor might be and wait for that person to come along. And to, to people, I say that, first of all, decide that I need a mentor, as simple as that. Yes, I'm looking for a mentor and I want a mentor. And start looking at people in your first circle of people that you already know. And just talk to them and saying, look, I'm looking to, uh, for, for, mentor, for, for mentors and can I talk to you about that? The moment you start having those sort of conversations straight away, you've already given yourself permission and you've put yourself in that frame of mind of I'm having a potential mentoring conversation. Now, they might not be the mentor for life for you. And they might not be the, and also I think people need to have more than one mentor. Absolutely. You need to have at least four, five, six mentors with different parts of their life. And I always say that you must hire and fire your mentors regularly because the moment that conversation starts, you will grow as a person and then you will outgrow that mentor potentially. Mm. Yeah. Well, there's lots of good tips in there. And I also love that concept about the importance of giving as well. So it's around receiving mentor advice, but also giving men- mentoring advice where you can. Well, Sid, thank you so much for sharing your bits of information and knowledge and advice with us today. In conclusion, though, can you share with me Sid's Be The Drop tip? So that's your top tip for communication that motivates and inspires. I think the, uh, the one final tip that I would like to give to the Be The Drop listeners is that always try and think about whenever you're communicating with anyone, think about how what you're going to say is going to change the way the other person thinks. If you tell them something they already know, and if you tell them something that is of importance to you, it's not going to make much of a difference. But I think that if we think about how what and the way we communicate is going to change the way a person thinks, will make uh, the conversations even more meaningful and even more productive. Well, 100%. Thank you so much, Sid. Thanks for joining me for another episode of Be The Drop. Don't forget to subscribe in order to ensure you never miss out on one of our weekly episodes. Be The Drop is produced by Narrative Marketing, where we believe that stories connect individuals and that powerful storytelling can positively impact the world. To unleash your storytelling superpower, visit narrativemarketing.com.au or check out our social links in the show notes. To contact me directly with any specific comments you have, you can email me via amelia at narrativemarketing.com.au. And don't forget that whilst a task or challenge may seem overwhelming, a waterfall begins with one drop and look what comes from that.
This is a Narrative Network podcast.